podcast from Aberdeen Investment Trusts. Hello and welcome to today's podcast on the Dunedin Income Growth Investment Trust. I'm Cherry Raynard and with me today are the Trust Managers, Ben Ritchie and Rebecca McLean. Uh, we're going to be talking about currency, interest rates and energy prices. So welcome, Ben. Uh, welcome, Rebecca. Um, ben, I wonder if we could kick off by talking about interest rates yet again. Um, it's been a very busy week for central bank meetings. And in the UK, some commentators seem to think that 6% rates is a real possibility now. Do you think that's likely? And would that be a concern? Yeah, thanks very much, Jerry. I think we've seen a, a pretty hawkish week, I guess, overall. Uh, we've seen the Fed pause, but certainly uh, increase their expectations as to where they see uh, interest rates going over over coming months. And we've seen the ECB raise interest rates by 25 basis points and again signal firmly that they're going to continue an upward path uh, on interest rates. Uh, and I guess while the UK uh, Bank of England doesn't meet until next week, um, we've seen two-year yields move up very substantially and they're now you know, above where they were back in uh, October when we had the sort of uh, you know trust quasi quartang uh, debacle. So I think you know we've seen a sort of quite a sharpening of, of expectations on interest rates, and I think that's really coming back in the UK's case um, to the tightness of the labour market. There was some strong um, employment data and wage data that came out the uh, came out uh, during the week, and I think that's continued um, to put upward pressure on inflation expectations, and as a result, on interest rate uh, expectations. I think there are a number of things though um, that are coming towards us that may take some of the pressure off. Um, firstly, we should start to see uh, energy prices fall, um, and that will start to come through as, as, as the uh, as the various um, mechanisms for assessing these things kick in over the, the second half of the year. So that so that will come through, and will take take some of the pressure off. I think the other side is that you are going to start to see the impact um, of of higher interest rates on mortgage um, borrowers, and we had a, a, a large number of, of of mortgages that were taken on. Um, it, from the sort of 2020-2021 with stamp duty cuts um, and, and, and largely on two, three-year fixed rates. And those are, will be rolling off over the next um, six to 12 months. Um, and I think we will start to see that affecting the economy. And I think the structure of the mortgage book in the UK is different to how it was in the past. There, it is, there's not lots of really long-dated mortgages. You know, you don't have a 25-year mortgage type situation, but you do have, you know, more twos and threes and fives. Than you did in the than you did in the past when a lot of people would have been on spot rates, and I think as a result we will start to see that coming through. So and that will I think uh, deliver some of the dampening to the economy and to inflationary pressures um, that the Bank of England is is looking to see. If we look at forward uh, markets, you know they're expecting interest rates to peak at 5.75, something like that. So expecting you know close to more you know over 100 basis points of additional hikes. I think we'll just have to see how that how that all comes into play because you know interest rates do go with a lag. Looking at current data and assessing what you should be doing uh, on interest rates is, is you know those those two things don't necessarily correlate. Um, and so I think you know let let's see. We've seen quite a tightening. You know we we'll, we'll, I'm no doubt see, probably see at least another couple of interest rate increases in the UK. But I think whether we go whether we get to five or whether we get to six probably depends on how we start to see the data evolve in the, in the second half of the year. Okay, so watch and wait. Um, the, the 
the secondary effect of the anticipation of higher interest rates has been to drive sterling higher. I mean, which companies are likely to be most affected by that? And in particular, could it could it exert a drag on dividends, you know, certainly in the translation effect from US dollar earners? Yeah, well, there are, there are sort of two elements really always to consider. And one is translation, which is essentially, you know, how much of your revenues are coming in foreign currency. And then obviously they're affected by the value of sterling versus dollar and euro and yen and other global currencies. And then there's the transactional element. And the transactional element is the difference between your costs and your revenues in terms of in terms of FX. So from a translation perspective, you know, as we as we talk about often on the, on this program, you know, around 70 percent of the revenues of the UK um, market are coming from overseas. So stronger sterling, all things being equal, is a negative for UK revenues and profits within the within the stock market. So you know, it's not it's not dramatic, but, you know, roughly for every one percent increase in sterling against the basket of, of, of currencies, it's going to reduce uh, revenues and, and, and by around 0.7 percent. So that's the sort of order of magnitude that, that comes into play. Um, so, you know, it will be a headwind, um, but it's not at this stage dramatic. Um, I think the other thing you, you, you've then got is uh, companies that pay their dividends in dollars as well. So to some extent, they could see uh, an impact on their business. And then, you know, the sterling value of those dollar dividends is also being you know, constrained by, by the strength of sterling. So that's also an additional headwind that comes into play um, and you've got some pretty large dollar payers uh, in the in the in the wider market as well although you know when we look at the book overall you know I think about 70 percent of our revenues maybe a bit more are coming in coming in sterling so you know we we do have a uh, you know we, we, we're not too exposed in that in that regard uh, and then I think the thing that which you need to watch because the impact can be much more significant is on is on transactional exposures and that's really where companies say are earning revenues in dollars, but they've got their costs in sterling. That doesn't tend to happen too much, but there are some companies that, that do have that type of positioning, particularly, particularly exporters um, uh, and you know, that are manufacturing in the UK, you know, that, can put some, that can put some pressure on, on margins. Um, they do tend to have hedging and various other things, but that's definitely the case. And there are some companies which may be exposed to that, but I don't think that's something that's dramatic. But of the offset to that, you know, there are also companies that buy a lot of product in dollars using and, and have sterling revenue. So most retailers in the, in, in the UK market are pretty much buying their buying whatever it is that they're selling in dollars and then and then selling it in sterling. And so stronger sterling overall is probably pretty helpful uh, for uh, for our retailers. And, you know, and there should also potentially be some you know, it benefits from uh, an inflationary effect from stronger sterling if we're importing a lot of food or whatever else it might be, and it's and it's going to be cheaper coming through in, in, in sterling terms, and that, that also might be a might be a mild benefit. So overall, I would say it's a, you know net net for the market, it's a it's a it's a, a modest headwind. I would say a headwind at the, uh, for for income as well at the margins. Not something that which we're overly concerned with at, at this point, but there are also some companies which will which will benefit uh, as well. Um, but it doesn't tend to be something which we look to try and play. It is just what it is. Uh, we want to avoid the risks of big transactional exposures generally, um, but we don't tend to spend too much time worrying about it. As we generally think over time, it, it sort of washes itself out. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, Rebecca, turning to you if we can. Um, one of the 
big recruitment companies had a profits warning yesterday. And I was just wondering, are, th- are there certain sectors that kind of end up being the canary in the coal mine for UK markets, you know, that, that give an indication of the direction, um, the direction of travel for the UK economy? A- anywhere you're looking at in particular? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, we are seeing pockets of weakness and there are certain sectors which um, demonstrate evidence in earlier on in a cycle of, of a downturn um, than others. And the recruiters are, is one sector that you that you mentioned. So Robert Walters had a profit warning this week. They're still seeing strong pipeline for, for jobs and wages are holding up, but they are seeing delays to hiring and driven by consumer confidence and and some of their exposures by region and sector. Um, So it it is a bellwether. Um, The company had to, given it's got high level of operating leverage, downgraded profit expectations meaningfully. Um, And the company is now trading close to trough multiples on close to trough um, revenues. So um, certainly it feels that um, for for the sector, we're getting close towards um, peak negativity in that sector, um, just just as an indication of it being sort of early earlier in its um, in its demonstration of where we are in the cycle. Um, but outside recruiters, I'd also point to the construction market. So um, new house building volumes are down substantially, and this has been the case since the mini budget last year. Um, but as Ben mentioned, more recently, a pickup in interest rates has been followed through by an increase in mortgage rates. So we're seeing this week um, some providers increasing their mortgage rates by um, about 70 basis points. And so that does not bode well for the sector. And it certainly indicates that this summer is going to be tough for the house, for the housing sector. Um, and it's it's not getting it's not getting better, which um, which I think many had hoped it would be by this point. Um, so together, these play into a view that um, there there is weakness in the UK market. It's not just the UK; there are global markets as well struggling. Um, and it supports what um, our cautious view and our cautious outlook, which we've had for some time now. Our, our, our economists. Um, do have a base case of recession Um, the question of the timing of that it it certainly feels that it's been pushed out in the US um, but but that certainly is a base case Um, but what it does do is it means that when we're thinking about the portfolio we are considering the balance within the portfolio and so whilst we're not really taking um, macro bets that's not particularly our strength we're looking for stock specifics when we're identifying companies for the portfolio um, on a relative basis we do feel that facing an uncertain and cautious outlook um, it is sensible to have a balanced portfolio of quality companies which offer an attractive total return so both the quality and the income emphasis of digit um, should position the portfolio relatively well within the market during some tough times. So, you know, as a reminder, we're looking for companies which have got strong balance sheets, which have got strong competitive positioning, um, exposed to structural markets, strong financials and are in a good place to deliver both income, but also capital returns. So we think, you know, there are uh, causes to be concerned um, and that needs to be considered when you're constructing the portfolio.
Um, but maybe I could um, talk a bit about some of the new holdings that we've introduced to the portfolio with, with that in mind. Um, so we've introduced Softcap, which is a UK-based value-added uh, reseller of IT products, hardware and software. Um, so the company is now the leading reseller of IT in the UK, um, and um, we see it as an ESG leader. The company's got really strong position, a broad offering, a strong culture, um, and this feeds into its customer relationships, which means the company has demonstrated a really strong track record of growing its wallet share with its customers. The customers are spending more of their IT spend um, with Softcat. Um, so you know, there's this sort of long-term question of, of IT spending, and that's probably a pocket of, of, of positive um, strength that you're seeing um, in the market, which was maybe better than people expected this year going into the year. And um, so you've got that, but then you've also got their competitive positioning and their ability to take market share. So that's a, a relatively new holding in the portfolio. Um, and we've also introduced Mercedes um, and the company there, you know, it is a cyclical industry, so sort of not going to deny that. But um, the company has done a lot of work in terms of its positioning. And we think that it's benefiting from premiumization trend. Um, from an ESG perspective, we see it as an improver. So the key question there will be how the company positions its products for a transition towards electric vehicles and hybrids. Um, but we think the valuation is attractive. Certainly, it's trading to a material discount to um, peers of Porsche and Ferrari, um, and it and it demonstrates a, a strong shareholder um, distribution and, and yield of over seven percent. So those are two names that we've added to the portfolio, which really based on our stock specific conviction in the names. Great. Okay. Thanks, Rebecca. Ben, back to you. Um... Since we last spoke, uh, Digits released its annual results. Um, anything you'd highlight from that? Well, we should probably say yes, shouldn't we, really, given, you know, we spent hours writing the reports and all the rest <laughs> of it for it. Um, what to pick out there? I, I, I think there's, there's a couple of things looking back and a, and a couple of things, a couple of things looking forward. So I think overall last year, uh, not, not, not a vintage year for performance, in, in relative sense, we underperformed by by bits against the market, but I think we feel that was probably a, a par score, you know, given our our style and, and given the sustainable uh, focus of the strategy. Um, but we would point to you know continued increase in the dividend, um, you know, up one point seven percent, and a balance sheet that remains strong, so gearing you know seven eight percent. Uh, Three, you know, seventy percent of one year's uh, dividend in reserve. Um, uh, a number of companies which we own in the portfolio don't, don't pay yield. Um, so we would say, you know, uh, a, a portfolio that certainly has a lot of flexibility um, isn't being squeezed the nines to deliver income, uh, and and also retains you know, strong potential for long term, uh, long term total return, as, as Rebecca was saying earlier. So we feel in pretty good shape and I think as we've moved into a sort of environment that, that may not have necessarily tailwinds for our approach but where we think some of those headwinds have perhaps been mitigated a little bit you know I think we're feeling pretty good about the prospects for uh, the portfolio over over the uh, over the medium term and I think that's being driven by the fact that we think sustainability is going to come back onto people's agenda so that I think will be helpful for our our overall approach um, uh, and I think in general, that focus on, you know, high quality companies that can generate structural growth as opposed to relying on the cycle 
we think in an environment that that seems somewhat late cycle and where growth is coming harder to come by you know should favor those those types of businesses and uh, i think we feel in absolute sense somewhat cautious but in a relative sense relatively optimistic um and i think you know if you do get the opportunity to have a read through the read through the annual report i think hopefully it's it's a helpful document in terms of setting out you know the, the more of the details on how we and how we see things evolving how we how we do things on a day-to-day basis um and as i say you know i think we both feel you know, sort of relatively optimistic looking forward okay great thanks and then rebecca um on that sort of cyclicality point there um i was hoping we could talk about some of the energy providers in the portfolio there's been quite a drop in the energy prices but i'm wondering whether the the energy companies with a strong kind of renewables footprint have, have fared a little better. Um, could you talk me through that? Yeah, so we have exposure to the sector. So SSE is one of our top holdings. Um, and as a background, as you mentioned, you know, there has been volatility within the energy market. So as a reminder, energy prices spiked following the invasion of Ukraine um, and Russia cutting off gas supplies to Europe. Um, and given you know, the, the connection between power prices, they sort of move in tandem with, with gas prices. Um, they have come down um, this year due to it being a milder winter. There's been lower demand due to those higher prices, so sort of that feeding through, and also the the store the gas storage um, availability has been healthier than people um, had thought towards the end of last year. But it, the gas prices and energy prices do remain above um, historic levels. So for a company like SSE, um, they should benefit from an underlying revenue perspective from higher energy prices. Um, an element of their um, networks business, their revenues are inflation linked, so it does provide that inflation hedge. Um, and the renewables business as well, um, the profitability will be driven by energy prices. So, you know, whilst they've come down, they do remain above historic levels and actually above, um, above forward, the forward curve is, is above where people's expectations are in forecasts. On a near-term basis, I think you know an element of maybe the disconnect between the share price and um, energy prices probably comes down to the level of hedging which these companies put in place. So they're pretty well hedged for this year, about eighty-five percent, and then and then two-thirds hedged for next year. Um, so so that offsets it to an extent. But over the longer term, um, if energy prices stay where they are at these elevated levels, and that will certainly be supportive for the earnings of the business. Um, but I think I think the key driver for SSE and you know one of the main reasons for its holding is not we're not we're not really using it for just to pay power prices. We really believe in the long term investment that requirements in the UK in order to um, in transition the grid towards low carbon energy. Um, and SSE has got a very important part to play within that. So there's a huge amount of investment required in electricity transmission to support a change in energy mix. Um, and so SSE itself is going to see its asset base grow. Um, it's investing in both its networks business, about eight and a half billion out to 2027 and seven billion in the renewables business, which should see its renewables earnings double out to 2027. So the company's gone from um, really changed its its shape and when we look at the outlook for the business, it is looking to deliver some really strong 
underlying growth in its in operating performance. Um, and then from an income perspective, um, we see that following the, the dividend rebase, it, it can afford its dividend um, and it, it has guided to healthy five to 10 percent dividend growth over the medium term. So um, it also provides that um, earnings and, and total return, um, dividend uh, total return sort of attractive characteristics too, which we're looking for within the portfolio. Great. OK, we'll wrap up there. So thank you, Rebecca and Ben, for those insights today. As always, you can find out more about the trust at dunedinincomegrowth.co.uk. Um, and thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections or estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.